Welcome to RAQA Today, the podcast that puts the fun back in quality, compliance, and regulatory affairs. Here's your host, Michelle Lott. So we're going to talk about pre-market approval and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. As an investor, all you really need is a company that has a great pitch. Their financial projections look great. Their device concept makes sense. And then finally, they're confident in their regulatory strategy. And that's all you need to make a good investment. Well, from my perspective in regulatory, that is wrong. It's very, very wrong. It's all a story at this point. You know, every company has their story that they tell in their pitch deck over and over again. But the question is, is that story fiction or nonfiction? Well, often I find it's a bit of a love story. And oftentimes companies can be in love with their own science is one common mistake I see. They're in love with their own inventions. And the problem with that is that that a lot of the or inventors who are the creator, the also the founders of the company, think a lot of things are transparent about or logical or obvious about either the market need or how the technology works. And I'll tell you right now, the FDA and the notified bodies, they don't believe in what the transitive property of math when it comes to regulatory science. So you can't make the argument of A equals B and B equals C, and therefore A equals C, and not do all the work in between to prove all of those logical conclusions. I see a ton of companies go in without doing all the work to prove their assumptions between A and C, and the FDA and the notified bodies just don't buy those conclusions. And then also the, the inventor founders are so confident in their own science and the need for their technology, they don't build out a team with complementary skill sets um, to cover where their weaknesses are, you know, from either a business perspective or a financial perspective. And then also, also they go all in as the founder. A lot of times you need to look at your technology and think, really, what is my minimal, minimally viable product? And are you willing to make compromises in maybe your intended use or your claims if it gets you further down the road faster? towards that ultimate pie in the sky that you have in mind for your product. The other common mistake that I see uh, startups do is that, that they do the research for themselves on what the regulatory path is, what the requirements are. And for non-regulatory people, regulations are both underestimated and they jeopardize the compliance plan and submission strategy. And then they're overwhelming and you don't Get, you don't understand what the right requirements and exemptions are. I, I have this joke that that everybody thinks that the FDA writes and speaks in English, and so they can read and speak English, so they understand regulations for themselves. But I guarantee you the dialect that FDA is writing and speaking in means something very specific within their own organization and culture, and the words don't translate the same into what do the requirements really mean for your product. Another common mistake I see startups, especially in other early stages, 
is think because they have a patent that that means that they are ready to go into submission. But in reality, there is this whole process that you have to go through to document your design and your development of your product. And this is required in both the FDA and the EU. And the process starts with documenting your user needs and flows all the way down into uh, design transfer into production. And there are records that come out of every phase of this design control process that end up going into your submissions. In the FDA, it's a lot of your early documents, but now under MDR, there are documents out of every single phase of design controls that is required to be evaluated by the notified bodies. So it's really important to know that a patent and even a prototype does not mean that you're ready for a regulatory submission. Another common mistake is that you're doing too little too late. So everybody, of course, starts with an idea. They validate the market need for that idea. They make their first prototypes, you know, secure their investment. The problem is that this is where a lot of people contact me. They contact me and they think that they're ready for FDA clearance. Hey, I just want you to write my submission. I have a deadline that I've committed to my investors, but they didn't plug in the regulatory strategy. So here's the right time and right place to have the regulatory strategy. It's between your idea and your market validation. That's the time that you need to be mapping out what are those regulatory requirements for the geographies that you want to go into. After you do your market validation as a part of that regulatory strategy, the next step would be to know what your test strategy is, because before you you have your first prototype, you need to be designing to what the testing requirements are going to be. Otherwise, you might not pass testing requirements and have to redesign your product. Also, knowing what your regulatory strategy and your test strategy is early on, inform your investors for that first round of investment. So you ask for the right amount of time and the right amount of money. And then finally, before you even get to get to me and ask me to do a FDA submission for you, there's a certain amount of pre-QMS and those design controls that we just discussed that have to be in place. I can't tell you how many companies come to me, particularly software as a medical device, And they literally have not one piece of documentation about how their software or their product was developed. And I'm like, well, what am I supposed to write a submission out of? You know, it's where, again, I'm trying to write a mostly nonfiction story to the FDA and I have nothing to base it on. So it's important to get design controls, software development, uh, risk management in early on in the process. As we're doing FDA clearance, you want to be building out your first uh, full quality management system so that when you're ready for your first production run, all you have left to do is make sure that your claims on your marketing material are consistent with your submission. And then as you scale for market launch, we just start moving into a maintenance mode of the regulatory administrative requirements that occur year over year. So ideally, you know, if you have not done all of this before you get to me or contracted me early in this stage to walk you through this whole process up to the submission, we have to get in the time machine and build all of this documentation retrospectively. And that gets to be more expensive 
than if you had planned and budgeted accordingly early on. And then this also creates uncomfortable conversations with your investors because now you need more time and more money than what you told them you needed. The other common mistake I see is trying to cram all of the features into one submission if you have a lot of novel things that could be done incrementally. And we talked about this early on in what is your minimally viable product? And as the leader of the company, are you willing to make some, some hard choices so that you can get to commercialization in a, a path of least resistance that sets you up for incremental success with the FDA? And so an example of that is say you have a device that has a certain amount of basic features that have got known predicates in the market. And then you, you're adding in two other novel features. Well, right off the bat, that's going to make you a de novo, which is a pretty high hurdle to, to leap over. But you could take a step-by-step -step approach. You could work on those with a 510K on that basic set of features. Perhaps the, there would be an option for a special 510K for some enhancement to those features. And then finally, a de novo for the, the, the specific feature set that made it truly novel and unique. And the reason why this stepwise approach might be better is that by the time you get to de novo, you already have a, a clear device with the FDA. They're familiar with your technology and where you're going with it. And it almost can put blinders on the FDA. Hey, there's nothing new. You've already, you've already reviewed and cleared these things. We don't have to talk about these new and fresh. Let's just focus on this one part that is truly new and novel. An example of what this looks like in terms of time and money is that you can bring a 510K to market much more quickly in terms of time and cost. The fees for a 510K uh, is about $3,000. And then when you make the leap from the 510K to the special, it's going to be another $3,000. The other cost associated with it is about $30,000 to $100,000. Whereas when you go to a de novo, if you just start there, just the FDA fee is $28,000. I think that's up to $30,000 for this coming fiscal year, as opposed to $3,000. So you can see there's a lot of time and cost and advantage to kind of taking a stepwise approach if you can with your technology. The other advantage is you can also start, you know, commercialization with your minimally viable product and start bringing in revenue that's going to help fund this kind of bigger lift or hurdle for the de novo. So some general mistakes that companies make. These are things that you don't want to do is under communicate. I always encourage companies to do a pre-submission if they can. Now, we'll have to have a, a separate conversation about the impact of COVID on the pre-submission process. But generally, it's better to have a communication with FDA about what your product is, what is the novel features, what is your test plan, and get their opinions about it early on so that you're not surprised in your submission and your submission is delayed later because you did not know what the FDA's true perspective was. And then on the other hand of that, I've seen clients that come to me that have already over-communicated with the FDA by submitting unusable pre-subs 
where they were really just trying to maybe get away with rationalizations. They didn't listen to what the FDA had to say or back to thinking that they understood what the FDA said because they were speaking in English and then they didn't understand at all and didn't do anything that the FDA said in the pre-sale because they didn't understand what they were communicating. And then uh, I also see people who look at their competitors and assume that they have done it correctly when really it's sometimes a little bit of a Cinderella and a stepsister shoe where somebody's tried to pigeonhole their product into a regulatory path that it doesn't belong. So you can't assume that your competitors have correctly classified their, their device. I have also seen people who think that they were politically connected, try to make phone calls to so-and-so's office and get them to call the FDA and bully the FDA into clearing their product. And that doesn't work either. Um, the FDA is still fairly independent of uh, politics, of external politics, at least. Don't uh, ignore new standards. FDA is always coming out with new guidance documents, new recognized consensus standards. And I have literally had clients tell me, will you tell the FDA that that guidance document's in draft, so it's voluntary and I don't have to comply? Well, the problem with that is that the FDA is telling you what they think about these things. And you have to know, like, okay, if I don't comply, how is what I'm doing as safe or as effective as what they're asking me to do? I also see people who uh, go retro and they want to use old data to make justifications. I literally had somebody give me biocompatibility data that looked like it was on a typed on like a dot matrix printer and had handwritten notes on the side. They wanted me to write justifications about how this is stainless steel and it's fine. You know, changing acceptance criteria of your protocols, big no-no. Also, your protocols need to be approved in advance with very specific acceptance criteria. And if you don't meet that acceptance criteria, there needs to be specific justifications for why that acceptance criteria was not correct. And then don't destroy evidence. You know, I also see people that the test didn't come out, so we're just not going to talk about it uh, and pretend it didn't happen. And so that's a little bit of a a synopsis on common things that I see uh, that can set you up for a terrible, horrible, no good day with the FDA and your submissions. 